Behind every amazing flavor is an amazing human who has perfected their craft. Welcome to Flavors Unknown. A behind-the-scenes look at new flavors and the chefs, pastry chefs, and bartenders who create them with your host, Emmanuel. Hey there. Welcome to another episode of Flavors Unknown, a series of conversations with trending chefs, pastry chefs, and mixologists around the country. Today is a special episode on leadership with the executive chef from the Fairmont Hotel in Austin, Andre Natera. I am your host, Emmanuel LaRoche. I have been in the food industry for more than 15 years, both in Europe and in the US, and every other week, my guests share their path to success, their creative approach, and how they think of a dish or drink, and their relationships with vendors and farmers. You can listen to this podcast on any podcast apps and access to the episode show notes on the website flavorsunknown.com. The previous episode was a panel discussion with two chefs from New Jersey who pivoted their business a few days after the pandemic hit the hospitality industry. Let's talk about today's episode. Back in March, I was supposed to be at South by Southwest in Austin and have a conversation with Chef Andre Natera at the CMO Clubhouse exclusively for senior marketing executives. The theme was leadership, what every senior marketing executive can learn from top chefs. Thanks to the CMO Club, Andre and I were able to record remotely our conversation back in March, and I am pleased to share it with you on my podcast today. In our conversation, Chef Andre Natera shares his thoughts about implementing discipline and consistency in the kitchen, coaching and mentoring, managing creative people, and developing the next generation of leaders. Hi, Chef. How are you? I'm doing great, Emmanuel. How are you? I'm pretty good. Thank you. So welcome to another episode of uh, Flavors Unknown. Thank you. It's uh, always a pleasure to be on your show, and uh, it's always a pleasure to speak to you. Thank you very much. Uh, likewise here. So as you know, today we should have been at the CMO Clubhouse in Austin during South by Southwest. But, you know, with the situation of the coronavirus, obviously, we are recording this conversation remotely. Well, thank God for technology. <laughs> yes. So before we go into the topic, you know, of leadership, which is uh, the, the focus of our conversation today, a little bit different from, you know, the previous episodes that I have done. I mean, do you mind uh, say a few words about your career and that led you to the current responsibility you have at the Fairmont? I've been cooking for, uh, I, I keep saying 25 years, but now I think I, I would say it's over 25 years. And I've been an executive chef uh, in many different aspects of, of uh, food and beverage organizations. So everything from, from hotels to resorts, I've worked in California, I've worked in Colorado. Uh, I've been a, a task force opening chef. I've worked in small restaurants. I've been a restaurant partner with the restaurant group and uh, opened restaurants. And, and uh, I've been a regional chef and a corporate chef for other organizations. Most recently, I was um, in Dallas, I think probably uh, with the Fairmont, uh, Fairmont in Dallas. Uh, I left that organization. I opened up a couple of restaurants in, in Dallas. And I'm sure most people know when you open restaurants, sometimes you close restaurants. That closure led me to Austin, Texas. And then most, my most recent position for the last three years, I've been the executive chef, uh, running the culinary program 
for the Fairmont Austin, which is the largest luxury hotel in Texas, where we have, you know, many kitchens, a, a diverse restaurant portfolio, um, everything from fine dining to casual dining and a couple of bars, restaurants, room service and everything. So as you said, I mean, I mean it's, it's um, kind of quite a large structure that you have and that you oversee, you know, at the Fairmont in Austin. So how many, how many people is part of your entire team? People that I manage directly or indirectly, you know, just kind of under under my umbrella is about, mm -hmm. about 150 people. 150 people. Mm -hmm. So if I see you in the hallways of the Fairmont and ask you, how are you today, chef? What will be your answer? Not just my answer, but, but everyone sure. that works uh, in the kitchens with me, we always say awake and ready. And that is... So can you explain to us what was, what's behind it? Yeah, absolutely. So the idea behind Awake and Ready was uh, when, when we're in the middle of action, when we're in the middle of service, what we want to convey to the person that's asking is that I'm present, I'm focused, I'm awake, and I'm ready for whatever's coming at us today. So whether that's, uh, whether that's I'm prepared for service, I'm prepared to wash dishes, I'm prepared to serve guests, whatever the case may be, we know um, that it's a confident answer, that I'm fully present, whatever's going on, uh, whether it be outside distractions, those are the volumes turned down on those. And I'm fully here in the moment. We say awake and ready. And that's not to say that it's not important what's going on outside of work, mm -hmm. because obviously that is, that is important. You know, we, we clearly, we clearly care about our teams and our employees and what's going on. But I think those conversations need to be held in a different location. So a good example I like to give is if you're in the middle of service and you're a chef and you have a rail of tickets and everything's coming at you and you ask someone, how are you doing? And they say awake and ready. You're fully confident that they're on their station ready to produce food. But if you say, how are you? And they say, well, you know, I'm having a bad day today. I got a flat tire. <laughs> you know, as a chef, you start to panic a little bit like, wait a minute. Are you focused on what's going on right now? So the idea of awake and ready, just it's just that, is that we're here, we're focused and we have a job. Mm -hmm. So in your industry, the idea is that leave your personal stuff, you know, at the door, be confident and be present. Yeah, be present. Right. Focused, be awake uh -huh. and be ready for whatever's going to come at you today. If I could expand upon that a little bit, not only does it instill confidence in the person that hears it, it starts to instill confidence in yourself. So it starts to bring a certain sense of discipline and consistency to the rest of the team so that everyone knows when, you know, that we're all, we all have a, a common purpose and we're all on a united front. Mm -hmm. Everyone is awake and ready. So you have confidence in the rest of the team, right? Um, mm -hmm. We're all on the same page. So it, it does give everyone a common purpose. So you are talking about discipline and consistency. So when it comes to leadership in the kitchen, it starts with those two elements. But first, we have to be clear that when we say discipline, we are not talking about like the fear here. Like hopefully, you know, this is something from the past, you know, from the, the, the old kitchens. <laughs> and consistency because it relates to building trust with your customer, creating a reputation and a direct impact, you know, and has a direct impact on the, on the bottom line. So can you explain what discipline and consistency means to you and why it is so important in your industry? So I would say when we talk about discipline, that we're, we're talking about the discipline to do something consistently and it's the right thing to do. So it's like a, a good example, you have to work out in the morning. That's not punishment, but it does require discipline to wake up early in the morning and, and go for your morning run or, or whatever it is that you do to stay on a healthy diet. This is something good for you, but it requires discipline to stay on that healthy diet. So when we talk about discipline in the workplace, it's the discipline to do the right things that are good for you, that are good for the customer, that are good for the rest of your team. That's the discipline that we're, that we're looking for. When it comes to consistency, 
The reason we implement a lot of standards and consistency is I, I think, first of all, people want structure and they want parameters. They want to understand the rules of the game. So they could be better players. And that's where the real creativity comes in. So when you think about, if you understand the, the, the rules, you could work within them and find creative solutions within the rules. And you don't have to think about all the variables if there were no rules, right? If that, if that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So when we talk about consistency, it's defining those rules. So you would say that uh, for you, that everyone wants to be led. Everyone needs leadership, correct? Yeah, I would say everyone needs leadership. Everyone needs parameters. But I wouldn't say necessarily that everyone wants to be led. What I would say mm-hmm. is that some people need to be leaders and some people need to be led. And some, but everyone needs a clear set of rules to play the game, if that makes sense. So people love challenges. How do you motivate your team and offer them opportunities? set goals and give them a sense of purpose. So creating challenges for people is probably one of the most difficult things that you could do. So you have to think of it like this is, is how do you strive for perfection or excellence in something that you're doing? So those challenges come from the leadership team to provide, but it also comes from the individuals. What we need to do is educate them on what are appropriate challenges for, for their specific discipline and what they're working on. So for example, if I was looking at, um, if I was looking at someone with knife skills, if I just walk up to someone and say, Hey, great job on, on that, on dicing that onion and don't give them any feedback where they could get better. It might not mean as much. However, if they've gone weeks and weeks and weeks and you consistently uh, work with them and say, okay, you could do this a little bit better. Let me give you a little tip here and there. And then let's say a month goes by and you come to them and you say, Oh my God, you have perfect brunoise or perfect uh, dice on your, on your onion or your carrot or whatever the case may be. They're going to remember that much more because they earned it. So there's there's a sense of pride in earning something rather just being given because they might walk around with their chest puffed up a little bit and say, wow, the chef uh, for months and months, he was telling me I couldn't do uh, a perfectly diced onion and kept giving me feedback. But that one day he told me it was perfect. That was the day that I felt so proud. So we have to understand that part of you know the, the human connection to the task at hand is that if something is very easy to attain or, or if the feedback isn't, uh, isn't earned, well, it loses its sense of value. However, when something is worked on, you know, over the course of time and you've worked hard at it, you finally achieve that. That is much more meaningful to the individual. So it's not about constant feedback, but it's about feedback that is earned, correct? That's what you, you want to emphasize. Yeah. So positive feedback that's earned and it's all positive feedback. I think it's, it's, you could do this better. You could do that better. The idea is the, the continual refinement of the task at hand or the technique or whatever it is that you're working on. But when someone does achieve it, creating the standard of what is excellence. So when it's achieved that they know, wow, they could, they could see a difference from where they started to where they are now. Whether if on day one, you accept a substandard product and you just say, that's good enough. Well, that then becomes the benchmark of good enough is this. And so that's as far as I'm going to push, right? So I think about, uh, I, th- I think about, uh, you know, my, my kids or something like that. And I say, uh, you know, I look at my parenting style and maybe I made a mistake, but I said, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I used to say, oh, you know, whatever, whatever makes you happy, you know, whereas my dad said, no, you're, you're going to do this, do this when you grow up and because you have a purpose, right? So having this purpose. And now when I tell my kids, you can do whatever you want. Well, they, they say themselves like, kind of like this, doing nothing and playing video games. So, <laughs> so if you're telling me I get to do whatever I want, well, I, I, I like this. And so instilling a sense of purpose in people, I think is also important. Everyone needs a purpose at work and they need a, they need parameters and goals in which to strive for. 
So what kind of, um, you know, opportunities do you uh, give, uh, you know, to, uh, to your team? When I think about the opportunities, you know, we have mentorship opportunities, we have continuing education opportunities, whether it's an online culinary school program that we offer called Ruby. We do demos every Saturday at 3 p.m. We do our, our weekly culinary demo. We do uh, internal technique videos to our staff so they could get on and see how we do certain things. We have uh, one-on-one mentoring programs where they sign up with a different chef and they meet weekly or biweekly to discuss all sorts of things. So I'm a firm believer in doing everything we possibly can to promote the different different avenues of education and mentorship so that so that someone could grow. I was very fortunate in my career that I've had great mentors around me and people that I learned from. So I want to make sure that I have the opportunity to give back to others because there's nothing to me that's more important uh, when it comes to leadership than than helping the generation that's coming up because that's that's how I was given the opportunity. So that's something that I stand by. What uh, did you learn from uh, from your mentors? Uh, you know, all sorts of things. You know, every mentor was a little bit different. Some of them taught me how to, you know, whether it was how, how to how to think creatively. Others taught me how to be the exception to the rule. Others taught me how to, you know, look at finances differently. So all of them played a different role. And I took a little bit from all of them. I, I, I could think of uh, uh, one mentor in, in particularly. His thing was always, you know, just think differently and be the exception to the rule. And, and I think that's something that's done well for me in my career is that I look at things differently. I don't want to look at the answer the same way everyone else does. I want to think a little bit abstractly and uh, see if I can come up with different results. So I think thinking differently uh, allows people to be successful. When you think about, uh, in, in my particular industry, some of the chefs that think differently that are the trendsetters, like a Ferran Adra, like a Rene Redzepi, like a Thomas Keller, you know, they, they start these uh, macro trends that everyone soon soon follows and everyone follows them but those the reason everyone follows them is because they are the exception to the rule they're the ones that were thinking differently um and then after a while you know a new trend will come along but i think there's a lot to be said for those people that are innovators so when it's coming to um mentoring uh, yourself what um let's say profile of the individual do you mentor in your organization or even like outside of your organization because i'm i'm guessing that you are having those mentorship program, you know, with um, at a different level in terms of responsibilities or functions? Yeah. So right now, I, I think I have four or five mentees that I work with directly that, that, that I work with that right now at work. And we meet weekly or biweekly and I assign them homework and they have to come back and, and give me feedback on the homework that I've assigned to them. Additionally, um, I always say you can't come back and, and reschedule the mentor meeting with me until you've completed your homework. And you need to always show up with five questions. And so that we could discuss the questions that they, that, that they want to get through. I could get feedback on their homework. And then I always provide them with new homework. And, and the homework that I provide them with is a little bit challenging because what I'm really after is not necessarily increasing a very specific skill set, but more of a, a bigger picture. So like I will say, you need to learn how to be more confident and ask for what you want. So. The homework might be you need to go around and ask people for discounts or you need to learn how to negotiate or, or some people might get stepped on a little bit too much. So I'll say, you know, your homework is to figuratively speaking, go confront someone, go confront a bully in your particular world. So that might be uh, a boss. That might be a subordinate. That might be, you know, someone in your personal life, but it's ha- have a, have a confrontation with them. So I could, I could push them out of their comfort zone. So everything is designed to. Uh, push them out of their comfort zone a little bit and uh, help them overcome some of the obstacles that they're facing in their career. You know, the reason I, I tell people to ask for something, uh, you know, whether it be a discount or negotiate, uh, negotiate down the, the, the price of the watch or whatever the case may be is because if you can't ask for something, 
then when the time is tough, you're not going to be able to ask for something. So when that time comes for a raise or that time comes for a new job, are you going to think you're worth it? And I think that was a valuable lesson that I learned early on in my career is that people aren't going to give you something if you don't ask for it, because people will assume you're not interested if you don't speak up. And I know a lot of people that have um, you know, been held back a little bit because they think that someone's going to tap them on the shoulder and tell them, okay, yeah, I, I, you're ready for it. But that sometimes that happens, but it doesn't always happen. And I think the people that ask for the opportunities would be surprised about how many doors open for them simply by simply by asking. So building up the confidence to ask for something. So you're, you're saying that um, your, your mentees have to come back to you in the session with five different questions, uh, you know, to you. Any type of questions or are you looking for something in, partic- in particular? No, I, I, because I don't know specifically what it is that, that they need at that moment. So based on the questions that they ask, I'll start to decide on, on the homework that I have for them. So if a lot of their questions are like, hey, how do I deal with this difficult person or how do I manage that person? or whatever the case may be, if I start to notice that, okay, their, their issue seems to be that with confrontation, then some of the homework that I assign to them revolves around confrontation, just so they can start to overcome some of that. And outside of the Fairmont, you are part as well an, of another organization, which is a mentoring uh, you know, organization for chefs. Yes. So the organization is Mentor BKB, and it was founded by Jerome Bocuse, Thomas Keller, and Daniel Balut. And what this organization does is it, uh, it, it finds, it recruits, and it funds a competitor for the Bocuse Dior. But it's, it's grown uh, much larger than that. There's a young chef competition, which um, really identifies young and up-and-coming talent and it gives them the platform to compete. There's a Comey competition, uh, which does a similar thing. There's grant and scholarship opportunities that are put out by Mentor, where if you apply for this Mentor grant, you have the opportunity to go and work in a, a kitchen of your choice, a world-class kitchen around the world. So, for example, you if you want to go work at Noma, you know, you get a, a paid sabbatical to go over there and spend some time in that kitchen, assuming that they're, they're willing to accept you. So it's a, it's a great organization that really helps promote young and up-and-coming chefs, as well as support someone to compete and represent the country of the United States in, in the Bacuse Dior competition. And what is your role in, in the organization? So my role is I'm on the culinary council. So it, sometimes my role is wherever they tell me they need me. So whether that's uh, judging for an event or uh, sometimes being involved in a fundraiser or, you know, helping select sponsors or whatever the case may be, uh, providing hotel rooms where possible. So all sorts of things, you know, I've, I've done four or five mentor dinners. I've, I've, um, been a judge at the USA Bocustior finals in Las Vegas. I got to carry the platter. One year where I was very nervous because I'm thinking, geez, I have to carry the platter in front of uh, all these chefs. And the chefs put all his blood, sweat, and tears into something. And what if I trip over a cord and I spill the <laughs> platter? Uh, that was maybe one of the more nerve-wracking moments that I had. But uh, So all sorts of things that I do with the Mentor BKB. But in, in addition to that, I also encourage my own team uh, to apply for the scholarship grants because I know if they get selected, it's, it's a life-changing opportunity for them to go work in a you know, three-Michelin-star kitchen or a restaurant that's on the world's 50 best list, um, not only do they get to go over there and work, but they get to bring something of value back, whether it's something part of the culture um, in these great restaurants or technique or something innovative that they're doing. So the idea of sending the cooks over there, one of our chefs, something that I always highly encourage them to do. So if you are looking back in, in, in your career, what would you have liked, you know, one of your 
maybe mentor or maybe one of the chefs that you work for, you know, told you in terms of guidance and something that, um, you know, it would have been like very positive for you for, for the, for your future. You know, something that I wish I had learned a little bit earlier in my career was to plan a little bit further. I've been a chef for a long time and I, and I think, um, I, I think I always looked at it as like, I'm going to be a chef forever, but, it, but eventually, uh, what's next? And you, you get to a certain point where you think, what is next? And, you know, I love being a chef and it is my passion. So right now it's not a problem, but you know, maybe one day it will become a problem where it is what's next. And I, and I don't know if I've strategically in my own mind planned out, you know, the next couple of years, maybe it'll be your sidekick on, on a podcast or something. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll give you some advice there. <laughs> so, in general, how do you do? How do you inspire others? You know, that's a difficult question. I, I think um, what I could do is I could give them the framework in an environment where they can be inspired. We talked earlier about creating a, a disciplined environment with a very specific workplace culture. That's the most important thing for me. And when you think about all the different distractions that we have going on, it's like, I want to turn down the noise. I want to turn down the noise and have so much consistency that they could really focus on what's important. In my case, that's the food. So if we have standards for all these other things, they could really put a laser-like focus on what's in front of them. And that may allow them, to simply by turning down all the peripheral noise, allow them to focus on creativity on what's on the plate. That's my world. So I think you got to provide the setting for someone to be creative and be inspired. That's really something that's important to me is I need to make sure that that all the tools are there, all the resources that are there for someone to be inspired. So you're talking about, you know, creativity and obviously there's a lot of leaders that are going to listen to this podcast in various industries. They are managing in-house creative teams. So we know in that situation, the importance of obviously giving constant feedback, but you direct reports are obviously very creative people. So what advice would you give when it comes to leading creative teams? I think you have to allow them to be creative. And sometimes you got to allow them to fail. You know, sometimes a dish will come up that I know is not necessarily for me and it gets presented to be put on the menu. And I, I, I might not be 100% sold on it, but the chef putting it in front of me is very passionate about this dish. So I may give him some feedback. If it's an absolute no, sometimes it is an absolute no. But a lot of times it's just a personal preference on my part, or I don't think it's going to work. But I need to allow them the opportunities to still try it and either prove me wrong, where I, you know it gives me an opportunity to to learn from them, or allow them to understand why it wasn't a good decision. So it's about allowing a certain amount of failure in a young up and coming uh, chefs or or industry people, just so that they have the opportunity to learn from their mistakes. Because learning from mistakes sometimes is the best education. And sometimes you say it's an absolute no. So what are like those situations that it is an absolute no? Is it linked to, it doesn't fit maybe like the, the brand of, um, you know, one of your food program within the Fairmont or because it's lacking of a, a technique or what's the, those situations? So I think that's, that, I think you hit the nail on the head is that what we're trying to do in all these restaurants is stay on brand. So for example, you know, one of our restaurants is an Asian concept. So if someone comes up to me and, you know, has, something that's very far off and it's not on, on concept, then, you know, if we're going for very traditional Asian style food and they come to me with something that's French Asian influenced, I might say that's, that's kind of not on brand of what we're doing. It's a good idea, but maybe you put that in your pocket for the future for a different concept. But for this concept, it's very uh, traditional Asian or if it's Italian and they, and they say, 
you know, they want to put, uh, uh, making this up. They want to do a hummus pizza and say, well, that's kind of not what we're going for, right? We want a more traditional Neapolitan style pizza. That's the direction that we need to go. So sometimes it's, it's just about redirecting them and helping them understand that it's, it's not on brand or it doesn't. Those are the absolute no's. Let's focus on the hiring process. So hiring good people seems to be a challenge in your industry, especially with the new generations. So how do you make sure you place uh, people in the right position and a position for their future success? Well, I think they need to be aligned with the, the values that we have first and foremost. So, you know, that you could, you could figure that out through good interview questions and, and, and kind of dig in a little bit and see how they answer. So, you know, I learned from you. I have uh, my set of interview questions. Uh, like you have your, 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 uh, you know, your fastball questions at the end that I asked. The rapid fire. Yeah. yeah. The rapid fire. I said, you know, there's no right or wrong answer, but you know, what's your favorite restaurant? If you could invite three people over for dinner, who, who are they? Uh, which chefs? Uh, what are you making for dinner? What's the worst day you've ever had in a restaurant? What's the best day you've ever had in a restaurant? How did you overcome the bad day? You, you know, what do you do better than anyone else in the kitchen? So I, I, I start to poke a little bit. And see how they answer. And I want to see, you know, kind of where their, their mind is at, because simply based on their answers, I'll start to understand. Yeah. They think like most people in this kitchen or they think like most people in that kitchen. So it allows me to know where to place them, first of all, or if they think way further advanced than any of us are thinking, then I, I know that. So I start to ask that. I start to just poke a little bit. I've succumbed to, to, to falling for my own tricks before. I think the best. So I asked the question, I said, if you can invite three people to dinner, who would it be? Uh, <laughs> chefs. And uh, one of my interviews said, um, I would invite Thomas Keller, I'd invite Renee Redzepi, and I'd invite you. And I knew exactly what they were doing. I was like, oh, come on, we just met. You'd invite me. I knew exactly what they're doing, but I fell for it. I was like, that's that's a good answer. So so simply by... by so you, I heard that person. Yeah. I said, you're hired. That's a good that's a good answer. But uh, uh, I, knew, I knew what their trick was, and I totally fell for it. <laughs> So this is really interviewing beyond like the, the skill sets, but uh, it is really about like matching the culture of the, of the company, correct? Yeah, I want to I get to know them a little bit as much as I can and how they think about whatever, uh, you know, in my case, it's food. I want to I understand how they think about food. I want to understand how they think about leadership. I want to understand how they think about current food trends. I want to know where they get their inspiration because I've, I've been around long enough to know where people are looking and how people are thinking. So I, I want to probe them a little bit and see how it is that they're thinking. And every now and again, you, you find some really incredible answers. And it's like, wow, I never thought of that. But for the most part, I notice people sort of answer the same. And so what I'm looking for is where, where do they fit or the commonalities amongst the And when you're talking about making sure that you are going to put them in a position for success, what do you mean by that? Well, I'll give you an example. I asked the question of, you know, name three chefs that you would like to have dinner with. Right. And if I'm hiring for my fine dining restaurant, most of the common answers are people in the high world of fine dining. People will say Rene Redzepi, Thomas Keller, uh, Grant Ackett's, uh, so on and so forth, Daniel Hume. And so you start to pick up, okay, they're in tune with the top restaurants and that's who they would gravitate, gravitate towards and who they would become inspired by. However, if their answers are, and I'm just making this up, if their answers are Chef Joe, who I, you know, worked next door to me, uh, my neighbor who's a home cook and, uh, you know, my, my best friend who's in culinary school, then I know okay, they're, they're not thinking on the same level as some of these other people. That's probably an extreme example, but I have had answers like that where, you know, someone's applying for a certain job and, and maybe 
I noticed that they just don't think about food the same way that the others in that group think about food. Now, that doesn't mean that they're not a good fit. They just might not be a fit for that particular kitchen where everyone is laser-like focused on food. They might be more suited towards an entry-level kitchen, uh, which we have different, different levels of kitchens, an entry-level kitchen where, okay, you could start to kind of just immerse yourself in that environment where the conversations begin, and then you start to grow into that. So what are the key uh, the keys to developing the next generation of leaders in your world? I think the most important thing is I think you need to be a good example for leaders, right? So that they could, they could look at you and say, okay, I want to be like that person. Or while wow, that person was in a difficult situation and they made a good leadership decision. So I, I think, first of all, providing a good example for the next generation of leaders is first and foremost. Second of all, you need to develop them. You need to mentor them. You need to spend time with them. You need to coach them. And you also need to give them room to make mistakes and learn from their mistakes. And then the third thing is I think you need to push them, challenge them, and hold them accountable. Allow them to fail, hold them accountable for their failures, make sure they're learning from their failures, push them out of their comfort zone, and continue to develop them and not allow them to become complacent. And then fourth thing I would say, you know, I know I said I had three, but I would just add one more, is allow them to lead, allow them to get in front of people, push them to speak publicly, push them to make tough decisions allow them to just get out there and do it, immerse themselves in it, even when they're not ready. But sometimes just doing it will start to build their confidence. Departmental uh, silos, you know, are seen as a growing pain for most organizations of all sizes. And it is a responsibility of the executive leaders to prepare and equip, you know, their team with a proper mindset to break down those silos. So can you share with us a little bit the way, you know, how you encourage, you know, collaborations. So I, I think in order to break down silos, there's everyone needs to have a common purpose, right? So if we're all here for a common purpose, then we all understand the bigger picture. That's the unifying front for everybody is what is the common purpose that everyone needs to have and how do they pay, play a role in that, in the, in the bigger picture. So I think once you start to illustrate that for everybody and everyone understands that we have one common goal, then they could come together and, and uh, break down those silos to understand how all these different parts play into that common goal. But that common purpose needs to be there. The second thing that I think needs to be there is a sense of belonging. They need to feel like they belong to the team, that they're a part of the team, that they're able to contribute. So if, if people have a sense of belonging and a sense of purpose, I think that's going to allow them to flourish in, in, on the team and uh, break down those silos. But once you start to remove that sense of belonging or that purpose, then people are going to figure it out for their own. If you don't give me a purpose, I'll find one for myself. And if you don't give me a sense of belonging, then I don't belong, then I'm operating out here in a silo. So I think developing those two things and understanding that everyone has a goal, everyone has a common purpose, and we all have to have a sense of belonging. And that's created by the workplace culture. That's going to be created by the leaders at the top. But you have to identify that and you have to know that, hey, it's our number one priority to create this for a team. Or if not, we have no direction uh, in which way we're going and the team is not on board. So this is like creating the the setup, uh, you know, for breaking down those silos. And after that, what are like the the steps that you are putting together in order to foster that collaboration? Once the sense of belonging is there and everyone has a purpose, then we need to create some tangible goals that we're all working towards. And then we need to be able to measure those goals. And when we're when we're not hitting the mark, we need to be able to go back and identify why objectively. What did we do wrong? What could we have done better? And make sure that everyone understands that this is a, a common win and a common failure. So we, we either win together or we fail together. And it's not one individual that would cause that. It's, it's the leadership's responsibility to make sure that 
we're achieving those goals. And when we don't meet the, meet the mark, why? Under, understanding the why. I think that's the next step is, is really understanding the why, but making sure that in order to understand the why, you need to have very specific and tangible goals that you need to be working towards. They don't need to be big goals, but they should be something that you can measure, that you can see that you're working towards progress. And for me specifically, I don't want to see a steep increase in the result in the metrics. So I'd rather see a slow, steady increase because I know that that's a lot more, it's going to maintain a lot longer than, than, a, than a spike because sometimes that's hard to maintain because you wonder, well, why do you have these big spikes? But if we're, if we're trending in the right direction, I just, I would prefer to see a continual incline. So chef, we have been talking about leadership for about 30 minutes or so. And uh, I would like to um, finish the conversation with a series of rapid fire questions. And that could be, um, you know, outside of leadership. We have to be a little bit lighter in the conversation now. So uh, when I say social media, is it a good thing or a bad thing? It's a good thing, I think, right now. It allows people to develop their own brand, figure out who they are. It, allow- it gives you a platform. Everyone now has a voice. Everyone could market themselves. You don't need to hire a big PR firm that does help, but uh, everyone now could be their own marketer. And, and you know, uh, with the internet, you can figure out how to do certain things on social media. So I think social media is a good thing. Is it dangerous? Yes, there. Are, of course, there's some cons on there. So I like to have fun with my own personal social media. You know, on my Instagram, yes. I always like to put a funny location that that is, uh, uh, you know, hopefully tied in. Made up, but yeah, it's made up. Uh, it's tied <laughs> into the into the Instagram post. I always put a, a hip hop quote from a rap yep. song that's hopefully tied mm-hmm. into the location or tied into the picture. Sometimes it's, uh, it, 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 you got to pay attention to what I'm doing because sometimes it's sneaky, but I like to have fun <laughs> with it. And, and I, and I try to be consistent with it so that, you know, people that, that know me know I'm going to have a different location. A lot of people are on the lookout for it and they know I'm going to have a rap quote. So I always get private messages. Oh, that's a great song or, uh, ha 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 on the location. So, <laughs> so I, I like to have fun with it because I know it's funny. Uh, you'll see me eating caviar all the time on yeah. my, on my Instagram, I I really don't eat caviar all the time. I just think it's funny. So I like I to you try to position yourself here. Yeah, I, I want to <laughs> position myself as that guy. You know, that's the, I want people to to know what to expect when they're looking at my page. Yeah, uh, that, that's kind of who I am, and I want to put that up. Okay. Do you hate restaurant critics? I don't hate restaurant critics. I would ask them to be just a little bit more responsible at times. You know, there's some very good restaurant critics out there, and I think that there's other restaurant critics that sometimes have an agenda. Um, that they're pushing forward. And I, and I think that we have to understand as a restaurant critic that there's a lot of effort on the restaurant's part, the chef, the, the team there to try and make a living. And you have a lot of power in what you write that could bring down the whole system, which is a lot of families, uh, a lot of, a lot of money, a lot of people's way of living. And so you, you, ha- you do have a, a, a moral responsibility with what you're writing. So, uh, it's it's dangerous to have an agenda to know that it's impacting people's lives. So I would say that is probably the biggest concern I have with restaurant critics. But sometimes you just want to read it for the fun. And I want to know how a restaurant is, as long as the the restaurant critic is very objective and the feedback is is consistent. I, I think that's I think that's good. But when it's when it's a deliberate attempt to hurt the business, that's that's uh, that that's kind of not something I enjoy about restaurants. Okay. What is your most important pet peeves in the kitchen? Mm, they change all the time. <laughs> <laughs> they change all the time. Uh, I think right now it's um, when people, we have uh, containers like plastic containers or metal containers. And we, if you label something with tape and then you don't take the tape off, 
uh, before you send it back to the to the dish station. I think that's one of my pet peeves right now is just people that that aren't considerate of the person that's going to have to take care of what you didn't take care of. So right now that's a pet peeve. So, and I have lots of them. Sometimes I'm known as chef picky, but uh, right now that's, that's, that's on the list. Okay. What are you the most proud of? I think the people that I've worked uh, with in the past and, and currently in the present too. So a lot of my chefs, you know, have gone on to become very successful chefs themselves. Many of them have gone on to win many awards, whether it's a, a rising star chef award or chef of the year award or whatever the case may be, James Beard nomination. I've had so many people that I've worked with that have gone on to be very successful. Um, and to know that I, I played a little part in that, I hope, and hopefully I was a good role model for them and provided a good example. If nothing else, I hope a great mentor. Yeah. If nothing else, I there hope that I, um, uh, I inspired them a little bit, but more importantly, I hope I allowed them to see some of the greatness that they have in themselves, that they could also do it, that they could, that they could uh, go out and be successful themselves. So uh, maybe instilling that confidence. I would say that's the most proud of right now. I got a team of, you know, a lot of, a lot of chefs around me and we do a lot of events. And because I have so many chefs around me, it's, there's always a different member at bat that we're going to get behind. So, you know, sometimes it's the chef from Garrison restaurant and we'll all rally behind him to see him succeed. Or it might be a sous chef from another restaurant or a chef de cuisine from review. And I try to take a, a role in, in, in my operation where I'm kind of behind the scenes. And when, you know, I'm, I'm talking to, you know, the people at uh, Austin Food and Wine and they say, they come to me and they say, okay, Andre, who's up next? I'm going to say, okay, right now it's uh, Chef Jordan from Garrison. Let's, I want to promote him. Let's put him out there. And, you know, they come to me and say, okay, who's next? I'm going to say, who's going on TV next? I'm going to say, uh, it's going to be our pastry chef. I'm going to put Chef Benjamin. It's his turn at bat. Let's all get behind him. So. I try to take the role behind the scenes right now in, in my role. So I've, I've had my moment where I've been on TV or I've had, I've had the opportunity to be the face of the event where now I just take the back step and say, let's let this one shine for the moment or let's let that one shine for the moment. And I think it allows them the opportunity to grow and develop in, in, their, in their own regard. Um, and that's very important to me is to not, uh, to not be the spotlight hog. So I'm always looking for opportunities to prop my team up. So what is the culinary trend you wish would die of a slow and painful death? Well, I think if you looked at uh, food and wines trends, there was all about luxury ingredients as we're going into 2020. I think the new trend mid-year recalibration is going to be comfort food. So Yeah, uh, true. Let's see, let's see what happens. Maybe they are going to die, uh, yes, uh, you know, obviously with the current situation, yeah. Current situation, let's, we might need to reevaluate our food trends. I don't know what's, what's on its way in and what's on its way out. But I would say, boy, I like luxury ingredients. I like, I like dining well. So I, I hope, you know, that the, that the caviar truffle luxury ingredient trend continues. Yeah. Let's, I, that, that's what I enjoy eating. I, I enjoy the simple things in life, good liquor, great cigars, uh, uh, caviar. I'm very simple. <laughs> <laughs> that should be I think that should be the words of the end of the interview chef. <laughs> that's great thank you so much you know for your time thank you so much for uh, sharing your thoughts about uh, leadership I hope the people listening you know got some interesting insights and definitely for the people listening next time you're in Austin Go to the Fairmont Hotel, have a dinner at the Garrison, uh, you know, fine dining restaurants or go to a review as well or one of the, you know, one of the bar. It's a, it's a great place, you know, to have um, very, um, you know, interesting, I would say, dining experience. Thank you so much, Emmanuel. It's always a pleasure to be on your show. 
Thank you. Appreciate it. I hope you enjoyed this episode about leadership with Chef Andre Natera. If you did, please share it with a friend or a colleague. It will take you only two minutes and it will help spread the word as word of mouth is the best way to add more listeners to the show. You can find the show notes of this episode and all previous episodes on the website flavorsunknown.com. Please follow us on social media at Flavors Unknown on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast as you do not want to miss any upcoming episode. In two weeks, my guest will be Chef Michael Gulota from New Orleans. Michael just caught the Best Chef South James Award 2020 with his restaurant Maypop. We will discuss about the revival of the Southern cuisine and his Southeast Asian-inspired cuisine utilizing the Louisiana pantry. I see you in two weeks. And until then, remember that people who love to eat are always the best people. You've just enjoyed another delicious episode of Flavors Unknown. Hungry for more? Hit subscribe. Tell us where you're listening from by leaving a review. And for social media and show notes, head to flavorsunknown.com.